Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Securiosity. I am your host, Greg Otto. And just like the rest of society, the COVID-19 pandemic has enveloped the cybersecurity world. It's becoming the primary driver of scams, surveillance, malware, and along with a newfound push to stop all of that from taking over our digital lives. Our CyberScoop editorial team has been covering all of the developments at a breakneck pace as the reaction to the coronavirus has turned our digital world on its head. I gathered everyone for a roundtable to discuss all of the news we've covered related to COVID-19, including some of the great efforts launched by the cybersecurity community to combat this new reality and how this pandemic will change things in the long-term future. Check it out. All right. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Securiosity. And you're going to be hearing from the entire CyberScoop team today. Greg Otto here. I'm here with Jeff Stone, Sean Lingus, Shannon Vavra. We're all social distancing, sheltering in place, staying at home, taking care of ourselves and one another. But also we are still firing away at our jobs. The cybersecurity community is like any other community that's, you know, sort of been thrown into the whirlwind of uh, this pandemic. And scammers really haven't taken a break. We've seen just a number of scams, fraud, phishing, hacking going on since all of this started about three or four weeks ago. And we've been covering it all. We want to break down just the overload of things that we have been seeing, especially for us. One of the, the most popular stories that we've had over the past couple of weeks is actually something, Sean, that you did. It looks like that really, really popular COVID-19 map that Johns Hopkins has stood up in the past month has been leveraged by hackers to uh, send some malware in the direction of some people that are interested in that. Yeah, no surprise there that people would opportunistically uh, exploit the very popular Johns Hopkins COVID map that I think we've all been using to get information on this pandemic. The interesting thing here was that it was actually not a financially motivated criminal hacking uh, uh, campaign, which uh, a lot of the activity so far has been. There have been state-sponsored or state-linked hacking attempts related to COVID-19, but a lot of it has been scammers who are, are simply looking to make a buck. This one was definitely in the surveillance category. It was someone that appeared to be operating out of Libya. They had a long-running campaign to try to surveil people in that country. And this actor um, saw the uh, COVID-19 crisis as an opportunity to to ramp that up, to make it perhaps more effective. There's no indication that it was uh, backed by the Libyan government, although we don't know that it wasn't either. The mobile security firm that discovered it, Lookout, told me that it was the most invasive sort of spyware that they've seen since the pandemic uh, launched. And and so it's a bit... uh, a bit intriguing on who's behind it, um, but it's just an example of, of, of the range of of hackers who are looking to exploit the crisis. Has this been targeted? Is this something that is almost like an excuse for Libby to go after dissidents, or is this just sort of been really pray and spray? Good question. And we'll get we'll get the information that we can from whoever it is that's dumb enough to download this. I, I think it's it's um, it's somewhat targeted. I think that Libya has a long history of um, of turmoil and surveillance on the part of the government, uh, so it, it would make perfect sense for that to be associated with the Libyan government. But again, we can't we can't say that with any sort of evidence or, or conclusion. So 
we have to stick to it being surveillance uh, in general. They definitely used uh, Libyan telecommunications firm. They, they knew the infrastructure within the country to be able to carry this out. So it strikes me as 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 as, as very clever. Uh, now the, the, the tools that were used were, were also cheap and and something that I think you or I, if we really wanted to, get our hands on. It's more what what's out here is is tacking it onto an existing campaign and and knowing uh, who to surveil. Uh, this isn't prey and spray uh, to answer your question. This is pretty targeted and it's it's going after certain people. Not only have we seen stuff like this in Libya, but two of the countries that have been really hit hard by COVID nineteen. Uh, Spain and Italy, with all of the, the the death, they are also dealing with scams with mobile users. What did you find is going on in Italy and Spain? Yeah, so this is an example of sort of just checking in from time to time with researchers who specialize in in mobile, specifically Android malware, uh, because there wasn't exactly there wasn't a, a specific report that the antivirus firm ESET put out. But um, they did notice a few things, and we we checked in with them. To, and it just ha- so happened that the the malicious samples that they found targeting uh, mobile applications were specifically targeting Italian and Spanish uh, residents. And as you know, those are the two European countries that have been hit hardest by COVID nineteen. It's a, a very cruel, but um, you know, perfectly logical way for a criminal to take advantage of that. Anyone looking for information, it, it looks like a legitimate app. It was you know, available on a third-party website, at least in, in one case, but and never in the Google Play Store. But it, it's a popular uh, app in, in Italy for um, sort of mapping out, you know, like tracing contact with somebody who might have been exposed to COVID-19. It's actually a very useful service. And people are concerned and trying to figure out if, because a lot of this stuff is asymptomatic, they may be trying to figure out if they actually have the virus. A useful app pops up that it provides that information ostensibly, but in this case, it was a phony copy, and then the Italian company had to release a statement um, saying that it, not to download uh, any anything that didn't come from their website. So, though these apps were only up for a few days, but uh, and we don't really have a sense of how many people downloaded it. The uh, researcher at ESET did not know that, but I think it's safe to assume that if up for a few days, apps that are, provide uh, value and are in a time of need like this, that some people downloaded the apps. Just with apps overall, Jeff, I know that you reported earlier on this month that there were simplistic apps. I, well, I don't know if we should say simplistic, but there were apps that just seemed to be more tailored into looking like, hey, this is where information is coming from. And they would download apps and then it would basically lock their phones. It was almost like a mobile ransomware thing. Am I correct in that? And it seems like we've moved into a little bit more sophisticated schemes since then. You're exactly correct, unfortunately. And I was thinking of this when Sean was just kind of describing the situation that Lookout and ESET described, which is the speed at which these scammers are kind of deploying these tools. It's bad enough that there is such a population of people that are trying to exploit COVID-19 and anxiety around the coronavirus, but it seems like they are making these changes really quickly to kind of leverage the panic around this rather than constructing totally new tools, if, if what I'm saying makes sense. I feel like that's what has been so advantageous for criminals that are looking to take advantage of all this, right? Everybody is so panicked. And it just seems like it it doesn't matter who it's targeting, whether it's Libya, Spain, Italy, China, 
here, I, I think that that is what is helping hackers take advantage of everybody. It's that fear. Everybody is so scared about what is going to happen that they're not thinking about where they're getting their apps from or if their software is updated, you know, that, that they want to be healthy and, and, and want the information that they need to be healthy. That's what they're looking for. And it just seems like hackers are moving more and more into moving quickly and taking advantage of all of that misinformation that is out there, which leads me to my next point. Shannon, I know you did a lot around China and where this pandemic first started and how China is now leveraging the aftermath of what has gone on there into their own disinformation campaigns. Yeah. So what we've seen before is in information operations, we know we talk a lot about Russia and we talk a lot about Iran historically running information and disinformation operations to their advantage. But when we talk about China, we normally talk about uh, China or the CCP trying to control the narrative or to paint China in a positive light. But instead, what we're seeing now in light of the coronavirus pandemic, which is believed to have originated in Wuhan, China, so far as we know right now, we see China starting to borrow a bit of a page from Russia's playbook. Instead of trying to just control the narrative and issue one kind of narration out there about what has happened, we see China trying to possibly cause some chaos or confusion or doubt about where the virus originated. So in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Chinese ambassadors around the world and different uh, state-backed media outlets in China push forward these narratives that suggest, well, maybe the virus originated with the U.S. Army, maybe it originated in Italy. And we've seen that pick up in the last couple of weeks. And it poses a really interesting question. Is this just a moment in time for China because of the coronavirus pandemic and because of where it is believed to have originated? Or is that where information operations are going for the CCP generally moving forward. So I think we'll still have to see that shake out a little bit more, but it's worth stressing. There's no evidence to date that many of the theories they're pushing forward about alternative origins for the virus are true. Shannon, I want to come back to a story that you wrote for us in that hackers are messing with routers DNS settings as we're all sitting down to you know this new telework life that everyone is sort of been dropped in and rushed into this past week. What did you find that researchers found when it came to DNS hijacking? Yeah, so information security uh, experts for weeks have been saying, okay, well, as organizations and as classrooms and as individuals uh, work from home, organizations' attack surfaces are going to expand necessarily. We hadn't really seen attackers take advantage of that outside of sort of these spear phishing operations that imitate the World Health Organization, for example. But then Bitdefender found out that actually hackers were sort of changing uh, domain name system settings in home routers around the world. Um, they found basically that if people's home routers had DNS settings had been messed with, users would think they're going to a legitimate website, but then they'd actually receive a pop-up message claiming to have information about the coronavirus. And then if users are interested in that information or curious and they click through, they may actually end up downloading some malware. Do you get the sense that this is something that is prevalent across the world? Or is that something that Bitdefender found prevalent across the world? Or is this just something that was hitting the United States or Western countries? Where are the DNS settings being hit the hardest? 
So, so far, Bitdefender has found it was 1,200 individuals at least that had been targeted in the U.S. and then across Europe. So in France, in Germany, Romania, Poland, Serbia, the Netherlands. Um, So we're really seeing this sort of across the board in many countries that are affected by the coronavirus. That's not to say that it's limited to those countries. There were some of some of the repositories where the attackers were keeping the malware were taken down by the time Bitdefender was able to analyze what was going on. So it's possible that the victim set is much larger than just 1,200 at this time. One of the things I think to keep in mind here is that I just got off the phone with Anomaly about two hours ago, and they said they are tracking 39 different malware families and 15 d- distinct campaigns in 11, from 11 different hacking groups. And that's that's not what Shannon's talking about when it comes to the DNS stuff. These are uh, different kinds of, of malware. And to put that into context, if it was a normal year, we'd be kind of thinking and, and talking about W-2 scams and, and tax fraud ahead of the IRS deadline. But normally would be maybe a handful, four or five, maybe six different kinds of malware, some different groups using this stuff, trying to kind of cash in when they can, whereas this is a much larger gold rush. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, do we all think that this is more just cyber criminal script kiddie-ish people, or do we think that this is more nation state based? Just looking at it from my perspective, this looks to be just quick criminals because I, I don't get a sense that any APT would really want to waste their time trying to scare people when they're dealing with their own government's issues when it comes to the response to the virus. I would jump in and say it's totally possible right now that it's both. So specifically with the DNS hijacking, at least, the malware that was used was first appeared on some underground forums in Russia in December. That doesn't mean necessarily these are Russian APT groups um, that are backed by Moscow, for instance, but it could mean that there are criminals gathering information and just trying to make a buck or gather some credentials around the world here. But on the flip side, when we look at sort of the broader picture here with spear phishing operations, we have seen suspected nation state operators running these kinds of scams like Recorded Future found that Iran's Ministry of Health was issuing an app, kind of like we were talking about before, that purported to have information about coronavirus, but it was actually spyware. So I, I don't necessarily know if we can just say definitively at this time, but it's definitely both right now. Yeah, I feel like each group is finding their own lane to do what they do best. Obviously, with the Chinese disinformation, I would imagine that that is coming from some sort of government or quasi-government entity where that's their job, help promote the the Chinese way and the Chinese line and push that out there. And we're going to fight on the propaganda lines. You talk about what Sean has been covering. That looks, I mean, that could almost go either way. I mean, what do you think, Sean? I feel like from the surveillance side of things, that could be government-wide. But some of the other things, especially the the mobile users in Italy and Spain, I feel like that's criminals looking to try to make a quick buck. Yeah, definitely. I think the latter for the some of the apps in, the apps in uh, Italy and Spain is probably criminal because one of them was a banking Trojan common uh, uh, mechanism for stealing um, financially sensitive data. The odds are on, on, in that case are, are with criminals rather than nation states. We've been covering so many scams over the past seven to 10 days, but there's also a lot 
of good stories that we've seen as well, especially I want to concentrate on the story that you wrote about, Sean, where cybersecurity researchers in their off time are trying to help medical organizations fight their IT struggles. I think we're all looking for for hope right now, for positive stories, and you know that that includes the cybersecurity community. And, and this is a story I wanted to write. Uh, you know, I went looking for it. I was asking around to see if anyone was volunteering their time because we were seeing, uh, as we already talked about, and, and a number of organizations uh, getting hit by um, by opportunistic um, hackers. So um, this is an initiative that that just grew out of the the pandemic a couple weeks ago. A few high-profile uh, security researchers, one from Microsoft, uh, one from Israeli company ClearSky, and others just banded together. And I mean, it started as a Slack channel, but um, it's gotten uh, wildly popular. I like to think at least in part because we wrote about it. People were reaching out to me to see how they could join. And, you know, it's not normally a journalist's job to facilitate that kind of thing. But, I mean, it's I'm happy to help the good guys fight the bad guys. So the group has ballooned from a handful of people uh, a week or two ago to, I think it's in the 400s at least. They are having an impact. They are uh, notifying medical organizations of potential uh, attacks and, um, and certainly of, of ransomware threats. There was an article a, a couple of weeks ago um, in which prominent hacking gangs uh, allegedly said that they would take a time out during the crisis from uh, ransomwareing hospitals, but we've already seen uh, that that yeah, pledge has say, been broken. Yeah, that has, that's never, clearly not happening. Shocking never that the criminals were not truthful. Right. Yeah. That. But this is, uh, this is something that, that's inspiring and it's 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 important it's it's people that their their day jobs are not to actually do this their day jobs are often incident response or or uh, reverse engineering malware from another hacking threat unrelated to covid-19 but they're literally burning the midnight oil working on this so um it's something that we can all get behind and and relate to and one of the so, things that came up since we've talked about this last was that microsoft announced wednesday afternoon that they are going to be doing this in a more official capacity. It sounds like they don't say as much, but it sounds like they're kind of taking the lead uh, from some of the people who you talk to for that for that story. And Microsoft is now reaching out to several dozen hospitals. They don't name them, but they say they are already inundated with patients who are being treated for coronavirus that are apparently vulnerable to ransomware attacks and VPN vulnerabilities. So are, are they... Just passing along threat indicators? Are they giving them guides on how to fix things and how to patch things? Are they offering to do that for them themselves free of charge? Like how far are we seeing this group go? Uh, it's definitely pro bono. They are you know, mobilizing all the resources they have in terms of, of data and making more connections uh, you know, by the day. So it, it's, it's still ad hoc, at least what I was writing about. It sounds like uh, as Jeff said, there's a there's more of a push to for big corporations to actually throw their weight behind this, like Microsoft itself, which obviously uh, would be a big deal, uh, given that the company, the organization, even with the greatest visibility, perhaps on the internet. Greg, I don't have a clear answer on your question for Microsoft, but they are. I know they are proactively reaching out to hospitals that may or may not understand that they're vulnerable, and they are providing guidance on how to remedy some of these issues. It doesn't sound like they're charging for that, but we should also keep in mind that it doesn't hurt a possible sales pitch later to say, oh, by the way, remember coronavirus and we 
let you know what's going on there. Right. Speaking of, of services that are related to the way that things have changed with coronavirus, Shannon, you wrote an interesting story that one company that specializes in, in fishing training put the pause button on putting any sort of coronavirus or COVID-19 related material inside their actual training materials. Uh, what, what exactly is going on there? So earlier this month, CoFence realized that there was an amount of support in the information security community, sort of through an informal poll on Twitter, for still using coronavirus-related themes in spearfishing training. And uh, the CTO and co-founder of CoFence, Aaron Higby, uh, recently said he sort of fell into a panic when he heard that because he realized he thought that was not entirely ethical or responsible to take advantage of these fears that we all have about coronavirus and how not to spread it and how to keep safe from it and what's going on in hospitals and what our tele- telework policies are. He and his team made the decision to pull all coronavirus-related templates from their repository of attacks that they may send out to do some spear phishing training. And it's the first time CoFence, sort of this OG uh, anti-spear phishing company, has taken a template out of their repository. And I think it's a notable moment for the information security community writ large because it that shows there are some red lines here. There are some ethical lines we don't want to cross. You know, criminals can say they're not going to take advantage of this moment, but there are some moments that companies can take here and and maybe lead the way for others. And they are asking other companies to take the pledge alongside them. That said, it is a little bit controversial because the idea of training against spear phishing is that you know what to look for. So as hackers take advantage of our fears about coronavirus, they probably will continue to do it. So CoFence is sort of recommending instead of using these kinds of templates, you should just remind employees about what they can look for uh, to avoid spear phishing and, and falling victim to them which is especially important as everyone's remote and not maybe being reminded as much as they would in the office. I was going to ask this, that that example leads me to something I've been thinking about is whether this entire pandemic is going to change this industry. I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on this because I've been thinking about it a lot, whether it comes from a cybersecurity uh, event perspective or a cybersecurity community perspective or how outreach is done how companies interact with one another, how companies interact with different uh, IT teams, IT teams and security teams. How do we see this pandemic uh, changing this landscape? Because I'm sure it is going to change. It's not crystallizing for me yet. One thing that I think about is as we increasingly rely on telework, we will need more cybersecurity professionals helping out. And I wonder if that will sort of bump up hiring in the cybersecurity world. But on the other side of that argument, I also wonder, is cybersecurity necessary to survival for some businesses right now when they're feeling their budget so strained? So again, I'm not, I don't have an answer there, but that's something I'm thinking about. I think there's going to be fewer cybersecurity companies very soon. We have kind of seen this crazy period of explosive growth for what we should remember is a relatively small industry. Uh, It's just a fraction of IT budgets typically in a Fortune 500 company. And if you are someone who is controlling the purse strings at a company, say it's even a smaller, medium-sized company, and you are taking a hard look at your staff after just a few weeks of working from home, orders being put on hold, then 
it's going to be a lot easier to consolidate which cybersecurity services you actually need. Maybe you only need three or four instead of uh, 10 or 12, or, or in some cases, dozens. Um, so I think that we're going to see the cream kind of uh, rise to the top very soon. Some people also see an opportunity. I mean, there there are um, cybersecurity companies that focus just on protecting medical devices. And for them in particular, it, it could be um, pr- uh, profitable. Although, of course, focusing on protecting people too, and uh, they'll take the, uh, the added benefit of, of, of making business or making money. So I think it, I think Jeff's right. I think a lot of, a lot of uh, companies could, could fall by the wayside, just like the entire economy is feeling right now. People are going to reevaluate um, a lot of different things. I mean, uh, conferences are going to be virtual for a while. Uh, these, these big conferences that we both love and hate are going to be on the back burner. A lot of remote uh, pen testing is going to be a thing. And I mean, already is a thing for sure less on-site assessments of, of, of uh, critical infrastructure facilities, maybe. I mean, I, 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 I would need to confirm that, but it's just social distancing, lockdown orders by their very nature are going to make some of these hands-on, hardcore security assessments uh, much more difficult. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of what goes into cybersecurity has to do with actually having access to the machines. And only so much access is going to be allowed because we obviously can't be any closer than uh, six feet uh, to one another. So uh, I wonder how that is going to affect the pen testing community and just how much is going to rely on virtual and remote and everything just seems to be headed to the point where everybody is realizing how much can be possible with just internet access when it comes to security. So uh, I, I agree with what all three of you have been saying in that the virtual way of getting things done in cybersecurity, I think is going to be the lasting impact from this pandemic and everything that you brought up from the hiring to the virtual pen testing to companies just shuttering their doors. I would not be surprised if we see all three of those things uh, happen over the next 12 or 18 months. All right. My esteemed colleagues, thank you very much uh, for hopping aboard and talking about all of this craziness that is going on due to the coronavirus. Thanks cool. for having us. I'm thank sure you. We'll discuss thank it again. you. When you stop to think about it, it's crazy how quickly the cybersecurity landscape has changed, even though this pandemic isn't directly impacting how that landscape operates. And whatever the changes may be, I believe we are looking at a lot of them. CyberScoop will cover it all as we continue to survive in these unsure times. So that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stay home. Stay healthy. And as always, stay curious.